0: I'm your host, Lindsay Pinchuk, and for those of you who are new around here, I've been building brands for nearly 25 years, and I started my own company back in 2010 with just a $500 investment and a $0 marketing budget. I grew that business to reach 3 million users per month across multiple platforms and generate seven figures in revenue for six years straight. I used organic community-centric strategies and I talk about those all the time, both here on the podcast and on my social media. I grew my business, Bump Club and Beyond, through partnerships with Target, Nordstrom, The Honest Company, and hundreds of other brands. This was all before I led my company's acquisition to a large agency holding company in 2019. And two years later, I exited that company with one simple goal, to support other female founders and business women through their own entrepreneurship journeys. Today, I'm a consultant and an educator doing just that, sharing my experiences and strategies and that of others and some of the most successful female founders of our time to help others ignite their brands for ultimate success. Dear Founder is my twice weekly letter to you, the incredible women in our community to do just that. On Tuesdays, every Tuesday, you'll hear me interview and share the stories and advice from some of the most incredible and the most successful female founders of our time. And on Thursdays, you'll hear Found Her Files, episodes designed to move your business forward through a specific lesson and actionable tips. This podcast is the show I wanted 13 years ago when I myself became a female founder. So if there's anything you want to hear about, or if you want me to share something specific to help you through your own endeavors, I invite you to reach out. Please shoot me a DM at Lindsay Pinchuk or shoot me an email at lindsay at lindsay as we move into February, we're shifting gears around here at Dear Found Her. Last month, we shared some incredible stories from female founders starting their 2.0. And this month, we're going to be talking to female founders whose first businesses have been a wild success. If you feel inspired by any of the conversations that you hear around here, I invite you to share the episode via text, share it in your stories on Instagram, tag me at Lindsay Pinchuk or at Dear Found Her so I can come and say Hi. And if you really like what you're hearing, we'd love if you left a five-star rating or review wherever it is that you podcast, because that is how people discover Dear Found Her and our mission to help female founders and entrepreneurs. And it's also how it gets spread and shared and other people find us. So I so would appreciate that small gesture of leaving a rating or review. Today's guest, Maya Smith, is a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur. She is a professional stylist and a beauty editor. And as you'll hear her describe, she took so many of the right steps to found, build and scale her business to the mid seven figure mark. She's a licensed cosmetologist and the owner and founder of the acclaimed The Do Salon in Georgia and Hair Care line, which is nationally distributed across key mass retailers. With 27 years in the game, she describes herself as a certified OG and says, quote, I've worked internationally with thousands of women of all hair textures, opened two salons, and racked up hella receipts styling more curls on my worst day than the average, quote, influencer touches in a year. Maya's hair care brand, The Do, is an award-winning brand of super fresh texture-focused solutions inspired by her life as a stylist and her love for the culture. Merging old school flavor with new school science, Maya's and Maya and her team have developed a range of simple, multifunctional formulas designed to put an end to the complicated regimens and conflicting information that are shattering your confidence. At the do, they keep it sucker-free by ignoring the yip-yap and fake ingredient hype. Instead, they show and prove by doing the work and taking you back to the basics. You are going to love this conversation and you are going to adore Maya Smith. So please come on in and meet her. I am very excited about today's guest because we're talking about one of my favorite topics and that is hair care. Anyone who knows me knows my hair is like something that I am constantly worrying about coloring, doing and I love this Brand The Do, because as it is described, it is a sucker free hair care line. And we all know we are all suckers for anything that's marketed to us. And that is not this hair care line. It is formulated for results and performance. And Maya Smith is here today to tell us all about The Do. So welcome. Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So tell us what is The Do? How did you start it? Why did you start it?
1: Um, Well, I've been a hairstylist since basically since I was a kid. I got my license when I was still in high school. So I've been doing it for quite a while. Um, And I actually started in um, a military community. And I was like one of the few kids of color that was even in the cosmetology school in high school, period. So um, I really started my journey um, kind kind of having to learn about textured hair by myself um, and being pretty well-versed in anyone's hair because I lived in a pretty um, diverse um, community. So um, what happened for me was um, working um, extensively with textured hair and kind of having to translate those rules to people who didn't do textured hair. Um, I was in, um, still in a military community. I actually married someone that was in the Air Force. So um, we lived in Germany. Um, in 2008, I moved to Germany, and um, I just wanted to grow wherever I'm planted. I think that's the the mentality that you adopt, um, and and so I started a natural hair salon um, because there weren't really any options for my clients who were in the military that wanted to transition from relaxed hair to natural hair, and they had a lot of time constraints because they were up early in the morning and needed to get from from exercising to the office really early in the morning. Um, And then military dress requirements um, weren't really working um, for people who had, who wanted to wear their natural curls because there are a lot of um, dress and appearance guidelines that that had to be followed. So I just started to work with the people that were in my community, really helping them transition. From chemically treated hair to wearing their natural hair and figuring out a way that they could do both. Um, and at the time, there were only products that either were strictly for natural hair, which were too heavy, or they were, um, you know, there was another class of products that were better for blowouts and straight styles, but they didn't have the moisture that was necessary to maintain curly hair. So I started to just reach out um, online. Um, and try to find people who were good at formulating products for multicultural, but that would also take me seriously as as a hairstylist from behind the chair and listen to my feedback and give me something that didn't exist. Um, Just a product line that every, it was important to me that every single product could be used, whether you wanted to wear your natural curls, or you wanted to wear your hair straight because I was really just responding to the needs of my clients. Um, And so it did, it took a while because the process of formulating products is is really a trip when you're not a chemist, right? I know what I want. Um, I can give you a list of criteria, things that are important to me and to my focus group, but um, you have to do the science. And so there's always this disconnect between the science community and you know the artist hair care community. How do I get things that perform well, um, but that also are scientifically sound, sustainable, that work well for all textures. So it did. It took us a little while to get it together, but I used the clients that I had um, in my as my focus group, and eventually we did come up with the do um, and we actually launched it in my salon overseas. Um, and I mean, it was, it was a trip because I wasn't really coming into um, the industry trying to um, be a brand. I really was just serving a need that existed at the time. So for really about five years, the do was just for myself and my clients. I had no intention of going into mass retail. I had been approached um, to, to, you know, to put products in, you know, drugstore or in, in professional or retail, but I didn't really know what that would mean for my business. And I really loved doing hair. I didn't have, I didn't want to be in sales. I really just wanted to serve people. So, um, after a while it kind of, you know, it, it took on its own, um, life. If if I can say that it, it, it started to just develop, um, and I started to get more, as, as inter- the internet or Instagram started to blow up, people from all over the world were seeing us and they were coming to the salon just, you know, from across the country. Um, and I started to get a lot more interest in just the way that we were approaching textured hair care. And that's when we decided, OK, maybe this is something that we can't hold on to on our own. Um, let's let's try to see what this means in a retail space.
0: I want to point this out to everyone who is listening. Maya is like the model female founder. There are so many things that she just said, and I'm sure there were things that you did wrong. I'm not going to say that you're perfect, and I don't know, and we'll get into that. (laughs) But there are so many things that you just said that are inherently important and needed when you're starting a business. I mean, you talked about, starting the journey based on your own need. And that is a lot of female founders start their companies because they need something. you talked about that you reached out to formulators. You use the internet. You asked people because you didn't know how to formulate. So instead of trying to figure it out, you went to the source. Right. You talked about responding to the needs of clients. Your clients were asking for something that didn't exist. So you were like, how can I make this easier for them? Then you used the clients for a focus group and you got their feedback to develop a product that ultimately was so great that mass retailers wanted to stock it. And so kudos to you, because those are just all and I and I recap that because anyone who's listening needs to take note of those steps, because I think a lot of times we put the cart before the horse. We jump into things with two feet without doing the research. And the way that you described that process is ideal.
1: I hope so. I think, I think it's important to lean into what you are um, the expert in. Um, and it, it's important for us to know that we can't be the expert on everything. I'm the hair care expert. I knew how products pre- would pre- or should perform. I knew what I was looking for and I knew what was important to my clients. So I just focused on that and gave the part that I'm not good at, which is science and math and all of the formulary st- stuff to someone who really was focused in and locked in on that. So I really think that it's important to start when you're starting whatever your your entrepreneurial journey is, is to really Lock yourself into what you do, what your strength is, and be okay with giving um, the other parts of of the business to people who are experts in that area.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the last thing that you said that I, on my list, I I didn't just say, but this is important too. And and why I want to say it is you said you loved doing hair and you wanted to serve people. And when you- number 1 and when you show up anyone when i'm i'm not saying you maya smith i'm saying when you community listening here when you show up wanting to serve that feeling is translated to the people you are serving and ultimately your want to serve them will lead to transactions when it comes to formulating a product for their hair
1: absolutely or
0: any or anything you know so right
1: absolutely it steers every single decision that that we make um so if you're if you are you know financially motivated that's going to steer all of your decisions um if you're like me and you're an artist and you're into serving people your all of my decisions are really based on the process i get caught up in the process of of creating it um and the end game for me wasn't really clear i didn't know what would come of it i think that's how creatives think is we really enjoy making things um, and the process of developing and seeing what happens. Um, And so I wasn't really thinking about the the financial side of this or even really the business side of it. I knew that I could make money. Or what it could mean, I'm
0: sure, right? Like you probably didn't realize what, like, you just weren't thinking about what it not that you didn't realize, but you weren't thinking about what it could mean if you were like, oh, I have this really freaking good right. product and I'm going <laughs> right. to give it to the masses. Like,
1: absolutely. Even now, I, I I just try to focus on creating things that are meaningful. And I I pay people to worry about the finances. I pay people to project how that may work in the market. And I I do listen to their feedback, but I think it's important to focus on what you're trying to create, because if you get caught in the weeds of what the outcome will be, then you kind of tend to lean into too far into the financial side or the sales side or the marketing side or your personal brand and you lose sight of who it is that you're serving.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you say that because when I sold my first company and I was all of a sudden, you know, held accountable to a lot of yeah. things that like, and and I was like you before, you know, like, and I still am, I still do see things like you. Like I just showed up and served and I figured the rest would come and that's how I built the brand and it worked. And, and, you know, we were bringing in seven figures of revenue in it it worked. So I wasn't like hung up on budget and this and that. And sometimes we did things that maybe were out of budget. But guess what? We made up for it somewhere else. And like right, so right. when I sold my company, all of a sudden I had this like operations manager. And every event we created, she would create this spreadsheet. And I'd have and everything had to fit into these boxes. And like right. I was like, that is not how this works. Life doesn't fit into a box. Right. And in doing that, to your point, what happened? was we lost sight of who we were serving and and it showed because it was like everything was an ad because we had to make certain numbers and like right. our, the, the way that like I showed up to serve changed because I had to fit into her box, you know? And yeah. so I, that's when I was kind of like, Oh, I don't really want to do this anymore. This isn't how right. I want to do things. But um, so I want to ask you, so when you, when you started When you started selling your product at your salon, did you feel before it was available to the masses, did you feel like people were coming in maybe that weren't your clients just to buy the product? Like, was there an element of that, like with word of mouth, like, oh, I have this great product. You should go buy it. Like, you know what I mean?
1: Um, a little bit, but it was mostly, you know, my clients word of mouth. And what happened for us was that the people that were in the salon that were booking appointments, obviously were benefiting from the products they were taking at home to their families. And then they had friends who couldn't, we were booked like, you know, two months in advance. So they had friends who couldn't come in, but that had kids or that had husbands, um, that, that needed good hair products. So it did kind of what the what the brand or build, putting the products in the salon did for us was it made um, our philosophy accessible to people who couldn't sit behind the chair. And that's when my wheels got to turning like, okay, so I can only take so many clients. I can only, you know, help so many people, but we think about hair care differently. And that's really the, the reason why the products were different So let's see, let's, this experiment of let's see if we can still help people get the results that they're looking for outside of the salon environment.
0: Did you sell them direct to consumer on your own before you went into the masses?
1: I did. And it was a different world. Every, you know, Instagram and Facebook was not ad based, So we sold in the, in the salon (laughs) and it was great. And the first week we launched our product, the first one was um, Bonita Afro Bomb. And it was like, I think we sold like maybe 20. It, it was crazy. It was it was like- But
0: like, were people calling crazy. you or trying to buy them online? Like, did you have that element yeah. of, okay, of e-commerce? Once we
1: launched, it was okay. But the first, like the first week, like nothing happened. We had a real naive idea of, you know, when you build a website and you tell people that it's there- they you still have to do a lot if if they've never sat behind your chair you know if you've never they never been in your chair you don't know they don't necessarily understand the value so um yeah it was an experience like the first week was crazy and then once people knew that we were serious that we had um you know that we did have inventory and that real people were using this and it wasn't just something cute on on the web um then it took off but at first i i almost quit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, my salon was fine. People that knew me yeah. was fine. But it's it's really difficult to translate your passion for whatever it is that you're doing, no matter what you're doing, um, on a package. You have to be present. You have to be engaged. You have to speak to and, um, and fellowship with the people who you want to serve. Um, and I didn't understand that the first week we launched.
0: So. When did you start selling at Mass Retail and and how did that play out?
1: Um, It was about five years after we launched the do. um, I said, no, no, no. Um, We had been approached by a lot of distributors and some brokers and I just didn't. I didn't like the way that I felt with number one, the fact that it was, you really are in sales when you go into consumer packaged goods Mm -hmm. is not the same thing as hair care people, you know, the numbers are all that really matter. Um, And I also knew the way that products in my category were being marketed were based on a lot of botanical stories and a lot of flowery marketing that from my perspective, you know, according to my training had nothing to do with the science of how hair care really worked. So I was really afraid of coming in and making a bunch of claims that I couldn't substantiate or being kind of forced to do this dance, this marketing dance that is really prominent in this category. Um, and I just, it made me feel feel icky because yeah. these, are, these aren't the things that I was saying to real people. Um, so finally, when I started to see that there were people that were listening, that my clients were getting really good results, and I couldn't serve everyone personally, um, that's when I decided, okay, let's go ahead and say yes this last time, you know, <laughs> and, and just see where it will, will take us. So um, I had to scale really fast. I had to um, make sure that the people that formulated my products could mass produce it, Um and and we launched like within a year of the yes, things started to move really really fast. Uh, we launched like Christmas Day, um, in Target. I was going to um, say,
0: who did you say yes yeah. to first?
1: Yeah. So we yeah we launched in Target first, um, and by then we had you know a good hundred thousand followers. Um, People were really engaged, but we all we all know now that following doesn't necessarily translate in the sale. So we had to make sure that people knew that we were alive, knew that we were coming to market. And because I had waited so long, there were other brands that were filling that space, even though we were one of the first brands um, to get the kind of press that we were getting about textured hair, um, and we were one of the first brands that were asked to come into mass retail. I stood back for so long. Now, when I came to market, you know, we weren't in there. It was just with one or two other brands. There were, you know, a couple dozen brands there.
0: So where else are you sold now besides Target?
1: So we're in Target, um, Walmart, Sally Beauty. Um, we've expanded into Drug, which I'm thrilled about, um, CVS, Walgreens. But we're in um, a lot of, of Sally's and, and Target's and Walmart's. Um, Yeah, but we started with Target and then the following year we picked up Walmart and then it was just exponential.
0: I mean, well, if you have those two retailers, it's like everyone wants to have you. You know what I mean? mean, Those are like huge retail. Those are huge retailers and you What it does, I mean, you know, what it does is it creates an effect of like someone buys it at Target and then maybe they find themselves at a Sally or at somewhere else and it's not on the shelf and then they ask for it and then they're potentially missing the sale. Right.
1: And and with each retailer, it's different. You're speaking to a different consumer. Um, The reason why someone's buying, you know, in Walmart looking for products is going to be different than why they're in Target looking for hair care. Um, a Sally beauty customer is focused on, she's focused on something else while they may all be the same person, you know, we go to different retailers with something different in mind. Um, so I had to figure out how to still, I can't stand in every aisle and sell right. the to you. Right. But I, I started to make sure that, you know, that on my packaging and in the way that I communicate on social media, that people understood that I was there for them.
0: Hi guys, it's me, Lindsay. I'm not sure if you're aware, but over the last nine months, I haven't just helped big enterprise brands on their marketing efforts through my consulting firm. I've also helped over a dozen women, small business owners in launching their companies, building their brands, and to tweak what wasn't working. I've been building and growing brands for nearly 25 years, but I've forever used one method to build my own brands and that of my clients and students. My signature sweep method utilizes social media, your website, emails, events, partnerships, and publicity to generate and execute cost-effective community-centric marketing strategies. If you're looking for that added layer of guidance, please reach out. There's a link in my show notes. Book a call with me and let's see how I can help you. I can't wait to meet you and learn about your business. Now back to the show. So before you were in mass retail, do you remember what your sales were of your product line?
1: Um, I would probably say, I mean, I was, a maybe six figure, six figure air. Um, and, but a lot of that, um, you know, you lose in just all of the lessons that you're learning. Right. <laughs> that's so it. it's like, Thank yeah, you for being because, so
0: truthful. I appreciate right. that.
1: Just because you make, you know, $150,000 a year doesn't mean that that's what you have. Um, thank you
0: for so- saying that, too, because, you know, I I often reiterate that, um, you know, I talk about the fact that my company was a seven figure company and it was that does not mean I have seven figures, not even close. Oh. It costs a lot of money to run <laughs> yeah. a company, Absolutely. you know, and so it's, you, you know, you have to like be mindful of that. So thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate that. But that's I awesome. want to show the growth. And so. Can you give me a ballpark of where you're at now?
1: Um, we're we're seven, we're definitely seven figures. Yeah. About, yeah, we're about five million.
0: This Amazing. Year. Congratulations. Uh, like, think about that because that is huge. That is huge.
1: It is, right? Right. I mean, we're talking about me. What, what's funny is when you start, well, when we started, all of my money from the salon was going into the dude. So it's not, you know, we didn't have we were putting our money in the shoebox. I, I opened the salon saving my own money. When you're, you know, how when you're a smaller business, um, especially in the beauty space, there isn't any support from banks or people do not want to lend you anything because they don't see the vision and they don't really get the concept. So we saved our money to open the salon. The salon money went into the do. So I did was you jar- ever
0: raise capital for your product or no?
1: No. I, I was generating. I mean,
0: Maya, like but from who? That, like, no, but I'm just saying like, I'm. But, but I mean, once you got into retail, I don't know if like maybe you had a, a round of capital or anything, but like I'm saying I'm I'm asking this because it's a really big fucking deal. Like, yeah, if you have this five million dollar business and you've never raised a dime and it's a product. And that, too, is like like what you've done is incredible and you should be so proud of yourself i mean I honestly because it costs so much money to have a viable product and you did it on your own
1: well what happens at the beginning um is that you're you're really wanting people to invest you're really hoping that your friends and your family members and people can like throw you something I had um, an investor the one person that helped us um, open our salon I had a client um that helped me get my I almost didn't open the salon when we came back to the states. Um I had a client that believed in what we were doing so much. She was like, "Let's help you with the furniture." Like that was it. Um but what happens is you build it yourself, then people believe you. Um and then everybody wants wants a piece. And it's kind of like, "Well, thanks, but you know, that where ship we're, has we, sailed." Right, right, right. So I mean, now we're in a you know in the growth phase where we are you know considering you know strategic partners and I mean that happens and it needs to happen to get to that you know five million mark. Um, but I've, I've seen brands who have done it without it. Um, but what happens is as your business grows to that level, you know now you need infrastructure. And the, and that's where the scaling has to happen. There's no way that, you know, my husband and I can, and and a team of, you know, two or three people are able to scale at that level. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, we're learning that there are levels to this. Um, and even though I didn't have really an end in mind, I have to now because like, it's real, it's real money. Right.
0: Yeah. So what is your team look like now? because you just said you can't do it alone and and that is something too that is so important to acknowledge as a female founder. So who who's on your team? Like how, like how does this look?
1: So my husband handles operations. Um I am steering the brand on the creative director and the product developer, so I have my hands in everything from the the visual side of the brand, um all the words that you read are mine. <laughs> um I am the do and I have a social media manager I do have a sales manager, um, and I have a strategist that kind of helps us look at the whole umbrella and has has a lot more experience in this field to um, project where the industry is going and kind of help us find our place there, um, so that we're not as much in the weeds. But as the founder, when the brand really is you and your brainchild, that you have to have this the discipline to disconnect yeah. from a lot of things that you were doing. So slowly, I'm learning to delegate things and to get things out of my head to build some systems so that if I'm sick today or if I'm not, you know, I'm not able to make it because I have a kid thing um, that someone else can continue. Um, Because when you first start, you literally are doing everything.
0: Yep. Yep. Thank you for acknowledging that. You made a comment early on in the, in the conversation that, um, you talked about how because you had like a delay to mass retail you were not the you were not the only one and you even though you were like the first one to be approached so what do you do now to get people to switch like how you know what i mean like if there are if there are people who are using those other brands that were at mass retail before you what's your strategy like how do you market to new people um
1: i really just try to stay authentic and authentic to myself to to really um make myself the point of difference. I think that people don't necessarily need to be told what to do, they are looking for the truth. Um, and so I know that my story, there are wonderful brands out there that all deserve to be there because I know what it takes to get to that shelf. Um, but I think with the do, we have a point of difference because I'm actually you know, a practicing hairstylist. There's a lot of knowledge and experience that I bring to the table um, and fortunately, the consumer is still, you know, sitting down in salon seats. So the way that we speak to people has a lot to do with the place that we're coming from. It's kind of like Jingle Bells. Like, it's a song we all know. We all sing it around Christmas time. But you want to hear Elvis sing it. You want to hear Marilyn Monroe sing it. You want to hear Usher sing it. You know, there's there's a rap Jingle Bells. It's the same song, Right but we all um, want to hear a different version. So I really see um, natural hair care or textured hair care brands kind of like churches. You will connect with the, the brand that speaks your language that resonates the most with you. The advantage I feel that we have at the Do is that we really are talking about facts our consumer has tried everything. They've done everything on YouTube. They've bought all the things and they really are just trying to figure out what is actually going to produce results. And so I think that's the edge that we have um, as a brand because I'm, I'm, you know, painstakingly honest. Um, I've had my team tell me like, you're doing way too much myth busting. You just need to sell it and make sure they get it and, and promote, promote, promote. But To me, if you don't get why you're doing something, you know, eventually you'll be disenchanted because you think the problem is you. So I like to educate a lot. I like to um, talk to them a lot and make sure that my consumer knows that I know their pain. I know their pain points and I know the conversations that they're having about their hair because I'm overhearing them in the salon.
0: And I agree wholeheartedly with you. You said you listened to Dear Founder. So you probably know that I would say that. And I know it's so, it's hard when you have your team telling you to promote, 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 but don't lose sight of that because what you're doing in terms of the education and, and sympathizing with the pain points of your client is really what is getting people to convert. I mean, that's why people buy. Right. And you know that. And so don't lose sight of that.
1: Right. Right. I mean, you know, we know when we're being sold something.
0: Yes. hundred. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. Without a doubt. What's been the biggest challenge along the way?
1: It is for, for me personally, it is kind of disconnecting from the business side of it. Um, I I'm an artist that happens to do hair. So the creative part of me, um, the innovative side of me is not always in agreement with what works on paper. So um, I've had to take a lot of ownership of my thoughts and feelings and be direct with my team. Like I get that, you know, financially this makes sense or fiscally this makes sense, but this is what we really need to do because my consumer needs this. So for me, it's it's really been... Um, you know, setting a lot of boundaries and advocating for myself as a creative in this really, what has now become a very corporate space. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, for me, that has been the biggest challenge is um, growing, you know, as founders, we grow individually while we're taking this, this journey. And so we're evolving and we're changing and we're growing up a little bit and learning how to speak up for ourselves and advocate for our consumer. And as the business grows, now you're faced with a bunch of people who may or may not know or care about what it is that you do. And you have to still um, translate those needs um, to people who aren't necessarily interested in what you're doing. Um, So it is, you know, more money, more problems. Like the more that you're successful, now you have to to stand up for what you really believe in. And that begins, I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like it starts to matter less and less the higher up you go. Um,
0: um, And
1: so when you're small, you're more nimble and you can attend to every little jot and tittle of what people need and what they think. When you get bigger, you just don't have the time and the no. bandwidth anymore. It's the,
0: it's a bandwidth issue. Yeah. Sure. And it's like, you have to decide what you're going to give up and what needs your attention. And I think that that's one of the hardest parts as a founder yeah. as well. And, and just I mean, to be a
1: person, like I'm still a human being growing and learning myself. Um, and and so, you also
0: have to have a life yeah. outside of your yeah. company, right? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Family, like. You can't just only be doing do every single minute of every single right. day. And it's but because it's you tough. love
1: the do, it is kind of part of every conversation. And you go on vacation and you're having all these ideas and you have all these breakthrough ideas at yep. the work time. So yeah, to me, it's it's learning now to set some boundaries between myself and the brand. Um, and realize that, you know, at some point, this isn't gonna be the first thing on my mind. What what's behind the do, what's after the do that, that I can, you know, hold on to, because it's almost like the brand grows and you become a bit of an an empty nester, you know, if you decide to sell or if you, you know, move on to something else. So it's like this, it's like a wedding. Like once you have the wedding, you lose like the hysteria and all the things that you're thinking about. And there's kind of like a depression that happens after Uh in my mind, I'm preparing myself for what's next.
0: What is, what is next? What do you hope is next? And you might not know, but what, what do you, if, if you could look into a crystal ball and be like, this is an ideal situation, what do you hope happens with the do?
1: I'm still kind of in the weeds to the degree that I really still can't see my way out of it. I feel like we have so much to do. Um, but I think at this stage also, you start to think about legacy. And if the brand um, you know, it happens if the brand is no longer as popular as it is, as it is now, or something changes, like anything can happen. What do we want to leave behind? Um, so I'm not as much thinking about what the do will do, but what the do, how the do changes the industry that I know as textured hair care. Um, and so I'm, that's really what I'm focused on right now is, is, will people see their hair differently? Will they, make different choices because of what we shared with them. Will they have a high, I'm hoping that my consumer has a higher standard of what's on on the shelf, um, that they have higher expectations, not just for me, but for every brand. Um, and so, you know, we're already starting to change the way that people see hair care because, you know, we're not promoting five products. We're, you know, five product layering. For instance, we have products that can be used on their own. Um, which is kind of, you know, it's different because, you know, the idea is to sell as much as you can. So changing the way that people see hair care, um, is really what I want to leave behind because I know that the products themselves or the brand itself, um, it, it, um, the legacy of it is always kind of unknown. How far it goes, how far it resonates is always really unknown.
0: The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FoundHer and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. What are you most proud of? I'm most proud of, of
1: the fact that people see their hair differently because of, of our influence. Um, I love to see um, the way that I believe the do has changed the way people see themselves, what they think their hair's limitations are. Um, They're finding through um, our education and our products that their hair can do X, Y, and Z um, that they've just been taught something different. So I'm really the most proud of the fact that that people have have not only tried their products but heard from me uh, pri- tried our products but heard from me individually, um, and they 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 have a different idea of what of what their beauty means. Um, they see themselves as as beautiful um, and unique, and they're not beating themselves up. Um, thinking that there's something wrong with them when a product doesn't perform to their expectations. Um, I think, we, especially with women of color, we have a we come into this world with a real strange idea of what pretty is, um, and and if we're able, are we able to meet a beauty standard? And so, for my consumer to see that 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 is um, obtainable for them. Is is really what I'm I'm the most proud of.
0: I love that answer because it is about your consumer and not about yeah. you, and that shows just how dedicated you are to your community and to your customer, and how you love what you do because it impacts other people. And so I just thank you for that because I, it was just so honest, and it speaks to why you're successful. I mean, really and thank truly, you, you know. You. Do you still do hair? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not behind the chair. Like I don't have a, a book, but I still have like my favorite OG clients and I still um, develop. So there's a season every year that I'm working out all of the products that will launch either the following year or the year after. So now I'm just focused a hundred percent on developing, but that's how I started. Right. The so everything that I'm making, I'm using on that same group of, of clients. So Um, the capacity, the way that I do hair is different, but I'll be that old lady in the, in the beauty shop, you know, in the back doing hair forever. I love my industry so much. Um, I would be heartbroken if I had to leave it. Um, That was the agreement um, when I went into retail is that I could still be who I was as an artist and as a hairstylist, no matter what this brand did. And I'm, I'm, I intend to hold true to that. Is your husband retired from the military? He's um yes he got he's been in he was in thirteen years um but yes yes please
0: please thank him for serving
1: thank you thank you
0: so I'm gonna ask you my last question and my last question is the same question that I ask everyone and that is three actionable tips that you would tell a female founder who's getting started
1: um to to number one I know this sounds um, cliche but always remember where, why you started. Because that'll be the thing that will carry you through when there's no money, when there's no support, when everyone in your office walks out. Um, The reason that you started is really what will carry you through.
0: It's not Um, cliche. It's the truth.
1: It is. If you forget why you started, it's a wrap. Because other people's agendas and priorities will take over yours. Um, I would also say learn to build some systems in your business so that if you get hit by a bus somebody can keep going um and they can you know adopt the things that are important to you so finding your brand dna and making sure that other people are able to carry that out is huge um and and I would also say um be gentle with yourself give yourself grace because you as your brand is growing we have a tendency to completely abandon our own personal growth. And so it's not always, it, I get, I get asked a lot, should you, you know, how do you balance, you know, your life and your, there's no balance. There's no balance. Okay. Not a thing, right. It really is a matter of setting priorities. You can't do it all. You can have it all, but you can't do it all at the same time. So giving yourself grace, being gentle with yourself really allows it. Is It's allowed me to, remind myself constantly that I'm still a human being and I still have the right to grow individually and make mistakes, make mistakes as a person. Um, and that my personal growth isn't always, it doesn't have to be connected to my business's growth because I, I experienced a season in the last year where my business like took off and I still felt like I was 18. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 43 this year. And Me too. There's a part of you though as a as a founder if you're not if you don't know the corporate side of things you really feel like a kid, right? Yes. And so there's you you're but you're watching your business grow up, you know, and and I've I've had to remind myself daily that just because my business is growing doesn't mean that I have to um personally accelerate at the same rate. I can still be me and appreciate how big the do is getting um, and, and, and not feel like we have to be doing this at the same time.
0: Maya Smith, founder of the Do. Thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I, I am so proud of you. I know we just met today, but you have really built something amazing. And I hope you take a second to like pause and say, you know what? I really did build something fucking amazing because you did and you are, and you still are. So thank you for taking time out of your day to be here. I so appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having
0: me. Maya is so amazing and so inspirational. She has someone to watch, someone to follow, and someone to emulate. And you know what time it is. Take out that pen and paper because I'm going to share my five top takeaways from today's conversation with Maya. But first, you want to make sure that you subscribe to my email newsletter because I send even more takeaways as well as a lesson each and every week to move your business forward straight to your inbox. The link is in the show notes. So for now, here are my top five takeaways from today's episode. Number one, Maya took all the right steps that you need to develop a product. She started the journey based on her own need. She reached out, researched, and used the internet to find resources and sources to make her product. She responded to the needs of clients. When a client asks for something that doesn't exist, you want to help develop a solution. And then she created focus groups to get client feedback in order to perfect her product. These four steps alone should be the foundation of any product based business before you get started. Number two, lean into what you're the expert in. It's important that you know you cannot be the expert in everything. Number three, When you can only help so many people, you need to try to envision how you can scale and you need to help make it happen. Number four, stay authentic to yourself. Make yourself the point of difference. People don't need to be told what to do. They're looking for the truth. And number five, if you don't get why you're doing something, eventually you'll be disenchanted because you'll think the problem is you. Thank you so much for being here today. Maya Smith, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with the Dear Found Her community. Make sure that you're following us on Instagram for more. And we hope to see you next week and every Tuesday and Thursday for another episode of Dear Found Her.